0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
1: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Emma Sassick's interview with the director for She Said, Maria Schrader. And Will Mavity's interview with the film's composer, Nicholas Britell.
2: Why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address? Let's interrogate the whole
3: system. Hi, my name is Jody Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. What have you got? I was told that the wrongdoing in Hollywood is overwhelming.
2: I don't want to be quoted.
3: Period. Understood. In your previous stories. How did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them?
4: A case I made was, I can't change what happened to you in the past,
3: but together we may be able to help protect other people. The truth, basically. What is it exactly that we're looking at here? These young women walked into what they all had reason to believe were
2: business meetings.
3: I can still see it, the hotel room, the floor plan.
0: He kept trying to touch me.
2: I asked him to leave me alone. Instead, they say he met them with threats and sexual demands.
5: I was young, scared.
3: Hi. We're from the New York Times. I believe he used to work for Harvey Weinstein. Maria, it is such a pleasure to speak with you today for the next Best Picture podcast. Tell me, we were just talking a little bit beforehand, that it's been almost two months since this film has premiered and been out in the world how has this these last eight weeks been for you
2: well exciting a lot of traveling um it's it's always you know a big moment because it's only three months uh, ago that I was still working on it (laughs) so (laughs) then a month later October 13th was the premiere at the New York Film Festival and um That was a very big moment for all of us, I believe. It was the first time I sat through the screening with an audience. It was very emotional. So many actors have been there. Ashley Judd gave a speech on on the stage, and the journalists have been there, of course. Yeah, it was enormously emotional for everyone involved and a really, really great screening.
3: And, you know, being there with your full cast members, including Ashley Judd, Carrie Mulligan, Zoe Kazan, um, just does it ever get old, those moments when you do get to see either everyone together for the first time and putting that product out into the world? Is that something that, you know, you just never get rid of the excitement?
2: I think that is um that is a very specific moment showing it for the first time experiencing the reactions the concentrations for the first time for me it was almost like minute by minute you know saying goodbye to the process of working on it you know almost like sending your child out in the world and it was particularly beautiful because I realized how glued the audience were and how concentrated and laughters. And I just, I felt it landed there. It looked good. It sounded good. And um, and then you start repeating that, of course. You know, <laughs> Los Angeles was a big moment too, um, coming to Hollywood with it and premiering it in the Chinese theater and uh, London, the BFI. But this first moment is something special, and i think it will always be something special to show it for the first time having a premiere on stage as an actor or showing the movie for the first time yes it's a virgin it's kind of a virgin moment
3: this story is one that for the last several years we i remember i'm a journalist myself so i remember when the story was published and reading and taking in every single word Of that New York Times story. And then a few days later, the New Yorker story published as well. You know, this is something that has changed the landscape, not only just in Hollywood, but all these different workplaces and systems of power and abuse that have been in place for so many years. What, I guess, what really made you say, I'm going to take, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take this story, I'm going to put it on the big screen and just present it to the world so many years after
2: it's only five years I know <laughs> um well you already talked about some of these reasons you know it's a big story and maybe your question should be why did you take it on despite the fact that it's such <laughs> a big story too. <laughs> and so meaningful <laughs> haven't you been very intimidated by it and yeah so, no, of course, I mean, on so many levels, it means so much to me. You know, first of all, we see a portrait of journalism in modern times led by two females, which we haven't ever seen. You know, this is uh, something even, you know, um, independent from from subject matter to see a journalistic thriller with with two um two female journalists who, you know, who succeed at the end. I mean, what, if we ask ourselves, name the big American movie with two equally strong female characters. I mean, I'm much older than you, but the first thing which comes to my mind is always Thelma and Louise. And this is like decades ago. They were outlaws. They had to die at the very end. so this was... This was one thing, you know, to really have a female driven genre of film, uh, which was exciting being um, being able to also include the personal sides of their lives to portray mm-hmm. what it means for, you know, mothers, working mothers doing this job in The New York Times. Um, being able to, to to paint a portrait of, yes, movie heroes, at the same time normal people, you know, uh, learn about their doubts, their sleepless nights, their struggling with, you know, with their husbands. This is all very interesting and new, I think. But then the cause, and there is a big cause, you know, that this is also something which was very much to be felt in in the Lincoln Center um during the premiere there's something bigger than the movie it's almost like you know it's it's a testimony to um to something which means a lot to all of us and of course to me too yeah so a lot of a lot of various reasons for me to to be incredibly grateful to um to have been asked to be part of it and like you mentioned at the
3: beginning, I'm sure a lot of pressure too, just to be felt in terms of not only serving the story justice, the the so many brave women who came forward for this story and the two journalists themselves, Megan Toohey and Jodi Cantor, and all the work that and, and months and effort that went into getting those sources and uh, getting comfortable with them in order for them to want to be on the record and, and share their story, all of that had to come in come into place
2: somehow exactly exactly but yeah I mean we all felt this big responsibility and just you know we wanted as you said we wanted to honor these women who who we all admire you know to to be so brave sharing their you know most intimate and traumatic stories and, and, and allowing jodie and megan to, to use their names and go public with it and that, that is still an incredible uh step and 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 yeah very courageous at the same time you know we um I think there was this one big decision to to, to really have uh, dialogue with everyone involved. You know, we, uh, I think it's a, it's, it's a project of multiple voices and and also the survivors, you know, had the possibility to look over their accounts and make sure that they feel uh, well represented with the wording, you know, and, and the plans we had. And Jodie and Megan were, were very involved in, you know, the details, the portrait of the details Um, of their workplace and their language and, you know, there were tireless sources for us and all our questions and my questions, for instance, would have been, you know, when do you record something? When do you take notes? When, when do you not take notes at all? Or, you know, in which conference room would you go with this particular, you know, person to interview and all these, all these little things, um, so, yeah, it's a lot of research, and you and and we all, all the creative heads of departments, we all did our research. And then, at one point, it's clear it's not a documentary. it's a it's a fi- feature film. It's a fictional fictionalization. and and you know, even the decisions to to cast Zoe, to cast Carrie, these are artistic decisions, and uh, it's an interpretation. And at one point, and latest when the 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 shooting starts, we we also have to follow our artistic instincts and um, you know create suspense and at the same time emotion and go a little beyond uh, of what Megan and Joji reported in their book, you know, because that was very factual. Of course, it's a journalistic report, but we were looking to um, into something else. That's what movies are for, I believe. That's right. I
3: want to go back to something that you just mentioned in terms of really speaking with Jody and Megan in terms of those day-to-day things that journalists do. Because when I was watching this, I felt this was probably the most real and down to earth interpretation of journalists on screen because i have my writers notebook every single day when i'm going out somewhere i'm writing down looking up i just felt like everything felt like you could tell that actual journalists help bring this to life in terms of some of those moments and i also really really appreciated seeing two working mothers navigate motherhood and the ups and downs that comes with that, but also trying to continue their work and support their family in a number of ways. I really appreciated those details in there. And I'm sure, is that really something that you knew from the get-go? You wanted to include a totally real portrait of these women besides just what their careers are and what the day-to-day life looks like in terms of being a journalist?
2: yeah definitely and thank you for saying that it's uh, it was definitely a challenge to to recreate or let's say create the working newsroom within the vast and empty building of the new york times right because all the hundreds of, of reporters and journalists and editors have been at home you know this was probably the one silver lining of 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 covid but exactly. what we found there was a huge empty stage and i remember Sitting through the nights with my fantastic um, assistant, and we really looked at the background actors, the extras, and uh, you know, we specifically looked for people who who might have had their own experiences and who would fit to our estimation. You know, in in the newsroom, in the investigation. So that was a long, long, long process, and um, and I think it was worth it. I think the background action and in in the New York Times is is amazing. <laughs> we all, of course, watched The Fourth Estate, and we had all the extras, you know, the 350 people in the background watching the, the documentary on the New York Times. And going back to to our protagonists, Megan and, and Jody, I think, you know our aim was to um to create to create a film with, which at the end you know inspires people and is basically uplifting and and encouraging even though you know we are touching dark subject matters and it's you know at times very emotional but um imagine if we would have left everything out of the movie you know the the aspects of being working mothers of you know having doubts and, um, and feeling the weight of the resp- the, respons- the re- responsibility, I'm sorry, feeling the weight of the responsibility, because, you know, they, they had met these brave women, and then they weren't sure if they'd be able to publish this. So if we would have left all of that out, then we would end up with just two pros, bigger than life, heroes, trying to, uh, chasing their, their research and going on that journey and succeeding. I think it's important for us to understand that, yes, they're good at what they do. And they're probably more passionate sometimes than we are, or they, they may be um call their jobs a vocation and work through the nights yeah they really want to get to the truth at the same time they are hit by depression and unexpected places you know they are insecure they they're normal people normal people with normal or let's say let's say um doubts and thoughts we all can relate to and I think that is important as well as you know seeing, the witnesses who are also not particular privileged. They've been, you know, assistants in productions when they were very young. Mm -hmm. But these people, these few individuals, they made it happen that, you know, that the world was so impacted by by, by the article and we all lived through the wake of the publishing. Mm -hmm. And that is inspiring, you know. They don't have superpowers, They're not Marvel characters. They're not, you know, Woodward and Bernstein, you know, the lonely wolves with just one mission. They struggle. And at the end, they still succeed. And that is something which I like to witness and and because I think it encourages us.
3: Absolutely. Before we have to start to wrap up, I I also wanted to know more about uh, the shooting process itself uh, in terms of. I feel like so many different scenes and aspects of this film were filmed with such care and respect toward the real life people who were involved in these situations and the actors portraying these moments too. What was the environment like on set? And I guess specifically, um, how did you know to make certain decisions in terms of what to show, what not to show? In terms of not just the violence that was exhibited um, behind closed doors, but you know, like the, the decision to not show uh, Harvey Weinstein's face in this film, I thought that that was another really great detail and powerful moment in here.
2: Yeah, I think I'm generally very concentrated on the collaboration with the actors first and foremost. So I i'm i make sure that i have enough time to prepare to rehearse so there have been at least two weeks where every afternoon carrie zoe and i would sit in a room and talk things through and share our thoughts and i share my plans how to how to shoot it because we were we had been scouting in the new york times and we started to shoot in the new york times the first two weeks and um to really create a a mutual understanding of not only, you know, what is the scene about, what is the specific scene about, but also what is a general, what is our general task, our general tonality. And you might have realized that there are a couple of scenes, you know, without cuts and uh, just in one shot. This requires rehearsal, but it is, I think, very powerful. It gives a sense of reality, real time, you know, not interfering as filmmakers, but completely relying on the ability of actors to create the tension, to create the rhythm, uh, which makes us, at the end of the day, sit at the edge of our seats and 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 to create the... Um, the emotional connection to to the audience because you know it's a lot of it's a lot of talking it's a lot of dialogues in this movie and it's absolutely crucial and i think this is my work and in communicating and finding it with the actors to make absolutely clear why is this moment important why is this call important to really be um connected in every in every moment to, you know, what they're heading for and, and what the setbacks are. And if you have, if you take most care of inviting the right people in front of the camera and also, of course, behind the camera, but in front of the camera, I find it just accurate and the right decision to, um, to stay in some way restrained with with all the filmmaking skills and virtuosity because the material and this story you know we all know about the reality fact of it and I think we sh- it was our goal to to meet it in the most truthful treated way so if you say you have a sense of reality this is this is the best this is the best um what I could wish for I guess I absolutely
3: felt like it was very much in the moment gripping at times and it was just waiting to see will somebody say yes to be in the story or just re just hearing these women recount their experiences I mean it's it's horrible stuff that they live through and to just hear it come from them I mean that is sends chills down your spine, especially with somebody such as Ashley Judd, who who was in the movie herself.
6: History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad,
2: yes and i wish you know that that we all feel also some kind of um relief the moment they they share it and trust the journalists and um you know be able to to look at it from from the nowadays perspective, because they're reporting, they're talking about something which is, which has been happening, you know, decades ago, and it's, I think it's so valuable for all of us to, to hear it, out of the mouth of the people who experienced it, and in contrary to, you know, illustrate it and make a scene and create a scene, which which you know depicts violence against women then we then we kind of recreate what they went through which right. is and we really wanted to go the opposite way mm-hmm. you know their life trajectories have been you know uh, led in in unexpected directions by something terrible what had happened to them but now you know they're they're back in a movie here uh, which is produced in Hollywood, and we listen to what they lived through and how they look at it mm-hmm. by today, and that is that is also something which which is quite extraordinary, I think. Um, and there is imagery involved which which we create in our heads, and um, we look at these faces and we start loving them. I mean, I loved. I I just I just. Yeah, it's very intimate and it was it was sensitive, of course, and delicate to work on it because we are talking about true events and things which had happened to real people. And we also felt great responsibility for it, but I think it's rewarding. That was basically another big moment when I met, you know, Laura and Zelda and Ravina at at the BFI premiere in London and we spent the night together and um, and learning how, you know, how content they are with and how in sync and they are with the movie and that they're proud it exists. It's, it's something very meaningful to me. That's so wonderful
3: to hear. Maria, I wanna thank you so much for your time today and speaking with me about a truly powerful, impactful and wonderful film. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, thank you, Emma, for having me. People have tried to write this story before. He kills it every time. Harvey adamantly denies any allegation of assault. He played people. He was a master manipulator. Will you give me just one chance to talk to
1: you? Are you sure that this isn't just young women who want to sleep with a movie producer to try to get ahead?
2: This is bigger than Weinstein. This is about the system protecting
5: abusers.
4: The women who receive these settlements, they can't speak out. They'll be sued if they do. But if someone could speak freely about the payouts...
2: What payouts, John?
5: You have to imagine that every call you make is being recorded, and you're being followed.
4: Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there?
5: You want to get me killed.
4: Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are gonna go on the record
0: is if they all jump together
1: we're all here harvey who have you talked to
2: i have three daughters and i don't want them to ever accept abuse or bullying i'll go
5: on the record go right it's time to write this is all gonna come out
2: i was silenced i want my voice back
4: So obviously, anytime you you hear a Nicholas Patel score, you know, it's going to make you feel something. I think this film, it's interesting because there's extensive periods where you play it pretty restrained. And we'll talk about those in a minute. But I wanted to specifically talk about, I guess, the three times in the film, it's not so restrained. Uh, So the first moment is pretty much when the film opens and we get to see (laughs) this kind of split between one, when one of Weinstein's victims first starts working on a set and then we've had a smash cut to her running away from his hotel room and mm-hmm. you really bring us in and big with this very swelling track. So tell me a little bit about that track there to bring us into this world. And yeah, those
0: yeah, that was um it's interesting that you brought that one up because that was actually a really key scene Um, you know, not just for setting the film up, but also for my own understanding of the film itself in a way. Um, and, uh, and actually I think that's a really cool, uh, place to start with the discussion because that was a moment where, um, I remember I had first, I had first written a piece for the opening of the film that was, um, that, that I think totally worked, but it was, it was, I would say in a sense, perhaps it was more functional in a way it was sort of, you know. we're we're, we're wondering where we are, we feel the discovery of the film set, and then we sort of get a sense of, oh, maybe we're meeting our potential future colleagues, you know, and then the horror that immediately follows that. Um, And I remember I was working, uh, Maria and uh, Didi Gardner were here as well, and uh, it was right in the studio, and we were talking, and I remember Maria had a really, really insightful comment on this, which was, you know, Uh, I remember both Maria and Deedee felt like the opening music worked that I had done, but they said, but Maria said she would really love it if there would be a way for right from the beginning of the movie, for the music to let us know that the movie knows more than we do. And I thought that was a really interesting statement, you know? Like what? Like the sense that you know we're not just. Fo- this scene isn't just about this scene. This music isn't just about this scene. This music is about the whole movie. This music is going to show you that there's so much more that we are. You are going to learn. The music is going to set up a question mark. The music is going to say there's a lot more here that the movie is going to tell us that we do not know on our own you know mm. and 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 I thought that was really interesting because to me it said a few different things it said that the approach I took on the opening had to be different actually it had to be almost more zoomed out it wasn't it was about this moment but it was about how does this moment connect with everything mm-hmm. and so the reason that I and so I the reason I actually call that piece overture is because to me it really is an overture to this whole film it's 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 about the whole movie and the music there is a piece it's actually the when I was doing my first experiments of ideas, I remember playing the a theme that I was calling the search theme, and it wasn't it wasn't in it wasn't so much the search of the external search, you know, for information. That, that I had a, a different idea, which I, which I called the investigation. That was sort of a different concept. The search theme to me meant the search for all the searches: this inner search and outer search, the search for truth, the search for emotional uh, meaning, the search for what happened, what really is happening. And 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 it was a sort of multivariate kind of process in a way. And so the idea then was, okay, well, what if I take that idea and what if that's the opening of our movie? If I took that and I wrote it for the opening. And immediately it felt different. And immediately Maria, Maria was like, that's That's how we have to start the movie, you know, and it, and it, and it was fascinating how it also then informed so much of the rest of the film for me, because Mm -hmm. once you, I get, I guess, you know, there are these big questions when you start scoring a project, uh, you know, obviously there's this question of like, what is the sound of the music? What is the music? You know, what is the sound palette? What is the nature of the music? What is the music trying to accomplish? But there's also another question, which is kind of what is the way that the music will actually work with the movie as far as it's not just its architecture, but also like how is the the, the music storytelling going to relate to the film storytelling, to the visual storytelling, to the narrative storytelling? And it's a really deep question. and it's And, and different movies answer that in many different ways. With she said, once we had established this idea at the beginning, it was actually clear that there was this interesting counterpoint that the music could have with the story where it wasn't going to be, this is what's happening. So the music is helping us Mm -hmm. understand what's happening. It's actually that when this is happening, the music is speaking maybe to many different things that might be happening and more broadly Mm -hmm. and more emotionally and more, you know, on a a slightly different wavelength perhaps. And, And I think to me, that gave me a lot of freedom that opened me up in a bit where I could say, oh, you know, we, we're going to be able to explore all of these different levels of feeling. there's yeah. going to be uh the procedural elements the the journalists finding out seeking out the truth what happened, what is going on here but there's also going to be this inner journey that I think at every moment the score is hopefully speaking to in a sense where and I I talked about it a bit in a sense as there are many dualities in the mm-hmm. film. And I was hoping that the music would try to speak to those different dualities in the sense that there's, you know, you could break it into sort of public and private, you know, internal, external, you know, work and home. There are many dualities in the film, and I think that the music is hopefully trying to like be a through line between all of these different, you know, spheres, I guess.
4: Yeah. So let's go a little bit further into those dualities, because obviously Mm -hmm. with some of the quieter investigative moments, Mm -hmm. you really drop it down. And so there's a lot of the film that um, it's almost there's just like a very subtle drone going on there in the background. I was curious about some of those tracks that you have to kind of chart the Shoe leather journey that these journalists mm-hmm. are going through, and it's mm-hmm. there's almost a horror score aspect yeah. to parts of it. So tell me a little bit about yeah.
0: that. No, it's, it's a great point. So there's there are a lot of different um, uh, uh, functions that the score has in different places, and I think above all, it really was incredibly important to have restraint in many of these places because the last thing you i mean you know me from my other projects too i mean the last thing i ever want to do is feel like i'm pushing an audience to feel something Mm -hmm. i always want i always want it to feel like like whatever the feeling is like it's hopefully musically it feels like it's inside the movie that's kind of the way i sometimes think about you know it's like does this music feel like it's inside the texture of the movie or does it feel like it's on top of the movie you know Mm -hmm. and the hope different for every movie the way in which you do that but i think my hope is always that the music feels like it's somehow inside the emotional landscape of the movie and in particular this some of the sequences you're talking about there is this sort of lurking low very dark at times haunting and horrible soundscape underneath um especially underneath sequences for example where the women are telling their stories and each one of those is tailored differently each one of those is unique but there are certain types of sounds that we gravitated towards and um and in particular all of those sequences too um you're really starting in silence so it's not like you're never saying here we go you're actually letting the story tell itself to some extent and then the music hopefully comes in and emerges in a sense to um to inha- to to widen perhaps the range of our understanding of some of those feelings and i would say that one of the key uh, elements of those soundscapes was the cello and it was mm-hmm. um this really fantastic collaboration that I was able to have with my wife Caitlin Sullivan on this project, which is something mm-hmm. I really want to talk about because it's it's the first project I've ever uh co-produced the score with with someone and it was the first time I've ever done that with my wife, you know and so to me, there was this really wonderful opportunity to not, you know I I would write the music and in the past, Caitlin, you know I was honored and lucky enough to have Caitlin record some of my music in the past. But this was a chance for us to really sit together and I would write the music still, but we would sit together after I'd written a piece, and I would say, you know, what do you think about this? You know, what do you what's missing? or what could the cello do that would enable would enhance this? And one of the things that we did early on was it was this um, I would say it was sort of a set of experiments where, you know, we really sat together and explored, both the emotional range of the cello and also the the harsh and more horrible sounds that were possible from the cello Mm. and it was this it was sort of a ever-evolving palette that we were kind of creating and um when i would write a piece of music you know caitlin might come you know come in and say hey you know I think this piece works, but I think you're missing something or you're missing. What about those sounds, you know? And so there was this wonderful conversation that we had. So I was having this wonderful conversation with Caitlin on the cellistic possibilities (laughs) of the score. And at the same time, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Maria and, 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 and perhaps Maria and Didi sometimes, you know, if they were both in town at the same time. So there was this really lot of great conversations we were all having. And to those sound palettes that you were talking about, a lot of that is actually the cello. It's all Mm. cello. It's cello that's perhaps bent in a certain way. It's both cello, there's a swirling sound that's sometimes in the cello, which to us we viewed as a sense of the memory of trauma, how when when a memory of trauma might come back, there's this sort of sense of you don't know when it might emerge and when it might happen Mm. and it overtake you and then it can also go away just as quickly. But there's an anxiety around that of when will those feelings return? psychologically that was something we talked about so there's an anxiety there i think in the score and there's also something we did i would use the word uh, kind of aleatoric cello where mm-hmm. it's almost like it's almost like a chaos approach where you you sort of see where your hands almost take you and you sort of explore things um in an almost like random kind of way and what that sometimes leads you to do musically is you create these sounds that can be Quite, they can possibly be quite disturbing and quite mm-hmm. unknowable, kind of how they're going to feel. And I would sometimes take these sounds very high up in the cello and I would put them in a very, very long reverb and make them feel almost very distant. And to us, it kind of had a feeling of almost like these distant voices at times. So you hear that in certain scenes where these very harsh. Sounds of the plucking of the cello where Caitlin's really using almost like the hard edge of her nail on the string, and then we're pitching those sounds. And then married to that is actually these very distant, sort of strange sounds. And to us, it's sort of well, it's hopefully created a a palette of um, you know, expressive of the horribleness and yeah. darkness of what happened, but coupled with at all times we were going for a sense of the emotional depth of of the story and of what these women are trying to accomplish so there's kind of those you know there's a lot of different things going on that i don't think there's ever a cue that's just one thing hopefully right. you know always trying to have kind of a, a multiplicity of of feelings happening
4: well in the last feeling uh, i'm curious about is as the film starts reaching towards its end as they start making breakthroughs they start getting hard evidence uh, you start kind of having this swell to this music building towards catharsis. I notice you you start going more for like the big emotion when um I think there's the moment she meets with the former British assistant who's like take this and use it, mm. and then there's also when uh, she's meeting with the accountant mm-hmm. and he gives that memo, mm-hmm. and then course. obviously it builds into your just big credits track moments. So tell me a little bit about kind of those that emerging trend yeah. in the music as you get towards yeah.
0: the end? It's a great question because, I mean, we were we were very conscious of being incredibly restrained in certain places, but there are also certain key moments in the film that we absolutely wanted to feel a fullness of emotion because deservedly so, you know? I mean, these were really key. There are certain really key changes that happen in your, in, in the story and the understanding of the story. And I, you know, I would actually add another moment is, is for example, the moment when Ashley says yes, you know, mm-hmm. where you really get this sort of sense of, I think, I think the conversation that I had with Maria on those moments, and I think the key to sort of, again, understanding how we calibrated the score. And it was very, it was very helpful because Maria really, I think really had a, a, a such a clear sense of when something would work in those cases. And the key thing was that there are moments of short-term moments of, you know, uh of of, let's say resolution for a very moment feeling like maybe there's a short-term accomplishment in a sense Mm -hmm. but there always had to be the recognition that this story continues Mm -hmm. and that there is is as of yet clearly of course no no resolution these are these are huge society level questions that are being raised uh in the film and so i think even amidst moments of you know, journalistic victories that might happen in a particular moment, Ashley says, yes, the chords themselves have to me, a uh, an inner inner feeling of there's still dissonance. There's still mm. a rub. There's still, there's still so much more to do. You yeah. know what I mean? And so there's never a moment in the film, I think, where we fully say this mission accomplished because mm. there is mission accomplished. Right. You know, this is one moment of a massive story that continues, of course, to this day, you know, and so there's, there's not, um, I think when we, when the music does rise up a bit, I think it's still within that context of there's an inner conflict still there, you know, and even, even in the, even at the, towards the end credits, you know, in the conclusion moments, there are still these rubs, hopefully that, that, that come across in the music that it's still saying that this continues, yeah. uh, so that but those were key moments that I think without without providing that sense of uh uh that that moment of music in a sense, or the of a, of a of a of a of a perhaps a bit of a crescendo there. I think it without that, we would be missing the the power of what actually is happening at the same time. You know what yeah. I mean? So we were very careful, I think, in where and how those moments happen. But to me, I find I I I remember, you know, feeling very um know i was very moved by the film and i was very moved by the by the opportunities that the film presented for those feelings and so uh you know it was i I remember seeing the seeing the film at the new york film festival and seeing some of those final moments and um and you know i really i feel you know i feel it's it, it was such a special experience to be able to be a part of that
4: yeah, well I I agree it's a very moving and it's a very important film and obviously your your score is an integral part of that. Do you know what you're working on next? I'm sure we got more Succession music coming from you, but anything else exciting?
0: Well, what can I what can I talk I am working on uh I am working on Succession season 4 right now. Mm-hmm. I, definitely. Uh, I'm also working on Barry's uh The Lion King project with disney oh yeah
4: yeah intrigued about that
0: Um, and um and and uh what else can i what else can i can i talk about um i think that's probably all i can talk about (laughs) yeah i
4: know how secretive this all is okay well i can't wait to hear your work on both of those and hopefully you you know this year is yet another oscar nomination
0: for you so we shall see but well well thank you for taking the time to chat and i appreciate the questions really wonderful of course of course yeah all right
4: you have a great rest yeah. of the week. All right, you too. Take care.
1: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Emma Sassick's interview of the director for She Said, Maria Schrader, and Will Mappity's interview with the film's composer, Nicholas Bertel, here on the next Best Picture podcast. She Said is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards in categories including Best Picture, Best Director for Maria Schrader, Best Adapted Screenplay for Rebecca Lenkowitz, Best Supporting Actress for Carrie Mulligan, and Best Original Score for Nicholas Bertel.